Hello, welcome to God Day. I'm Derek Walker, the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, wishing you a God Day today. And today we're going to look at something that affects us all that is very important. The issue of what, what happens when we die. Is there life after death? And we want to see what the Bible has to say about it, because basically we, we don't know from our natural information, of course. But is there life beyond death? Uh, the Bible's very clear on this subject, and uh, we need to know what the Bible has to say. And um, one of the things that the Bible is very clear about is that at death, mankind, all mankind, is divided into two separate groups. Um, and only two groups, with two completely opposite destinies. And it all depends on the decisions that we've made in this lifetime. If we have accepted God, uh, the Father and His Son Jesus and His salvation, then the Bible says we die in the Lord. And if we die in the Lord, we will go to heaven, praise God. If, however, we have rejected Christ and His salvation, we die in our sins. And that means we don't go up, but we go down to a place called Hades, under the earth. And um, that's the Greek word, and the, the Hebrew word for this place is Sheol. And that is like a temporary prison where one is kept until the final judgment. And all those who have rejected God will stand at the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20 and be thrown into the lake of fire. It's a terrible thing, but this is what the Bible reveals. So we're going to talk about these, the issue of life after death, and it should motivate us, A, to, to live a life that pleases God, but also to witness. And so we can, we can help those hear the Word of God that they might receive Jesus and be saved from a terrible destiny to a wonderful destiny. Let's start in Ezekiel chapter 18. And uh, here it makes it clear that God's eternal judgment, the, determining each individual's eternal destiny, is a judgment on the individual. Now, in, in history, God does actually judge families or nations. There are judgments of God on groups of people, but those are all temporal judgments. But when it comes to the judgment of an individual, he stands and falls before God based on his own choices and his own faith. So it says, the word of the Lord in Ezekiel 18, the word of the Lord came to me again saying, what do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you will no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. So he says, it, you know, sometimes you might blame your father, your mother, or people in your family. That's why I'm so messed up, because, because of what they've done and what I've inherited from them. And, and God says, no, I'm not going to accept that kind of excuse. The soul that sins will die. You will, if you die eternally, it's because of your own sin, because of your own choices. And verse 20, it says, the soul who sins shall die. The son will not bear the guilt of his father, 
nor a father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous will be on himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be on himself. So you can't uh, make excuses on the day of judgment saying, well, you know, I blame this person, I blame that person. No, God is going to uh, judge you on your own choices. And that's important to understand that. The other thing that helps to understand the process is that there are, we go through three phases of existence. The first phase is this life, which is relatively short. This is where our spirit lives in our mortal body. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And this life ends with our physical death, when our spirit soul, our inner man, leaves our body, our outer man. Then we enter into the intermediate state. This is when we are, uh, we, we're not in our body anymore, and we either go up to heaven or we go down to Hades. We continue to exist, but as a disembodied spirit or soul. And this is just a temporary state. God hasn't made us actually to be detached from our bodies. And, and so it's just a temporary state between our death and our resurrection. Uh, but we are conscious in that state, as we see from many scriptures. Then the third state is our eternal state. The state will be for all eternity. That happens at our resurrection, and uh, that's when God will re reunite our spirit to our body, and we will receive a resurrection body. And that will be our eternal state. Now, there is an exception to that. Some will not die because we'll be raptured. And so we won't even go through the intermediate state. But that's the exception. And so this is a controversial point. I mean, some reject this idea. But the Bible teaches that after death, the invisible part of man, our spirit soul, live, lives on independently from the body, and this is called the immortality of the soul. Uh, the body is mortal, but our soul and our spirit lives forever because our spirit was produced by the breath of God. Our body may die, um, but our spirit was created from the breath of God. Uh, Jesus um, said in Matthew 10:28, do not fear those who kill the body. But, he, but cannot kill the soul, cannot destroy the soul. In other words, even if somebody murders you, they can kill your body, but they can't touch your soul. Your soul will continue to live and exist. They can't touch that. And so, because God has made your soul to live forever. The question is, will you live forever in the presence of God in heaven, or will you live forever in a place called hell? And so, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outward man is perishing, our body will die, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. That's certainly if we're a believer. And, and many scriptures support this. 1 Peter 1.23 says that, especially for believers, it's absolutely clear, we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So we're born again through the word of God, which is like the seed 
that, that, we, that creates our new, newborn spirit and it lives and abides forever. So our spirit doesn't just cease existing, it continues forever. I mean, that's what it means. It says if, if we believe in Christ, we have everlasting life. That means life that continues forever. Our spirit will live forever. Praise God. We possess eternal life. Jesus said, he who believes in me has everlasting life. In John 11, when he raised Lazarus, do you remember he said these great words in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. And he's basically saying, I'm the resurrection for the body. I'll raise your body one day, but I'm also the life for your spirit. And then he says, he who believes in me, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he's talking about the physical resurrection of our body. But then he says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's clearly not talking physically, it's talking spiritually. If you live and while you are alive during this lifetime, if you believe in Christ in this life, it says, you will never die. In other words, your spirit will never die. You will live on. So when you leave your body, when you die, you, don't, you will not cease being conscious. You will live on. You'll leave your body, but you'll still be alive. Praise God. And Jesus, you know, the Sadducees didn't believe in life after death, and Jesus corrected them. He, he said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, he said, Have you not read what was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He's saying, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive, and they're in my presence, because God is the God of the living. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he is saying they were still alive. They were not in some coma or some non-existence. And Luke actually adds to this, Luke 20, 38 says, for all live unto him. Praise God. So, the Bible also teaches that the condition of our soul at death determines our destiny forever. Ecclesiastes 11.3 uh, is one of my favorite scriptures. It says, Whenever, wh whether a tree falls to the south or toward the north, wherever the, wherever the tree falls, there it lies. Now that seems to be like, what's that doing in the Bible? But the, the you are that tree you see, and when a tree is chopped down, that's a picture of when you die. And if you, when you die, you're facing north, if you're facing toward God, then you will be in that state forever. But if you fall to the south away from God, then you will be in that state away from God forever. In other words, you make the decision in your life. And when the time comes for you to, for you to be chopped down in this body, you will be pointing one way or the other for all eternity. And that's what Revelation 22 means when it says, he who is unrighteous, let him be unrighteous still. In other words, if you choose to be unrighteous in this life, you will be unrighteous for all eternity. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. That's what it's saying. So everyone either dies in their sins or in the Lord. Jesus said in John 8, 24, he said, you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am, that Jesus is Lord, he's God, 
you don't believe that I am, you will die in your sins because Jesus is the only salvation. You have to believe in him. But, but uh, you can die in the Lord instead, in Christ. If you accept Christ, you get put in Christ and you can die in Christ. And Revelation 14, 13 says, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. You will enter into blessedness, praise God. Not into non-existence, but into blessedness. And so the first stage of our judgment happens at our death actually at our physical death if you will either die in your sins or in the lord and that will then determine your eternal destiny hebrews 9:27 says it as it is appointed for men to die once and after this the judgment so in other words straight after death there is a judgment a separation you you are you are either in christ you go up or you are in your sins you go down to Hades. Hades will claim your soul. And, um, you know, I don't know if you've seen the film Ghost, but there's a very visual portrayal of those who go up and those who go down. And, uh, and it's quite realistic. And so the first judgment happens at your death. It, that determines your guilt or innocence. You see, in the law courts, it's the same. The first time you stand before the judge is to decide if you're guilty or innocent. Then, if you're guilty, you stand before the judge a second time to determine your sentencing and, and your punishment. And that's what the great white throne judgment is. What will happen to the unbelievers is, in Revelation 20, they all come out of Hades and they stand before the great white throne. And then they are sentenced. Their, their lives are inspected, the books of their lives are inspected, and they are given the appropriate, appropriate sentencing. And that's the second phase of the judgment. But the first stage of the judgment, the main stage really, the, of eternal judgment, is at the moment of our death. So we need to live. We never know when we're going to die. So we need to live as if we might be raptured at any time, or that we're going to pass out of this life into eternity. We need to make sure we're ready. We need to make sure that we've received Jesus as our Lord. Praise God. And so, we, uh, it, these things are very important for us to remember that, uh, you know, but thank God for Jesus. He, if he hadn't come to pay the price, to ransom us, we would all be going to Hades and then to the lake of fire. And um, I love this in Psalm 49, 15, it says, God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he shall receive me. Hallelujah. This is a believer. He knows that God's going to send his redeemer to pay the ransom, to deliver us out of the clutches of Hades. You see, without Christ, there are two terrible enemies called death and Hades. I call them the terrible twins. You'll see them throughout the Bible. Death, you see, claims, because of sin, death has a claim on your body. And Hades has a claim on your soul. And you'll see them in the book of Revelation. One of the horsemen of the apocalypse, death comes along and takes the bodies. And Hades takes the souls of unbelievers. And it's a terrible vision. 
But thank God there is one who has paid the price to redeem us from the power of Sheol. Hebrews, sorry, Hosea 13, 14, God says, I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. Thank God for Jesus. He paid the price to ransom us from Sheol. And, um, you know, if you look at uh, Luke 16, we'll just pick the odd verse, but this tells a story in verse 19 onwards about two people who died. Now, this is before the cross, but they died and they go down to Hades, both of them. And we see one is an unbeliever and one's a believer, the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was an unbeliever. Lazarus was a believer. They both go down to Hades. Uh, that, now, that's before the cross. But they go to two different departments of Hades. Now, some people say, oh, it's just a parable. But actually, it doesn't say it's a parable. It's a real story. But even if it was a parable, parables are always true to life. So this is a very clear teaching by Jesus that we are alive and fully conscious after death. And um, before the cross, they went to these two possible compartments. One was called Abraham's bosom or paradise where the believers went. The other one was called torments, a place of punishment where the unbelievers went. And so Lazarus was ended up in Abraham's bosom. Abraham, of course, is the father of all believers, so it's called Abraham's bosom. And that's a place of where the believers had fellowship. They were in a, a blessed place, a garden paradise there. But the unbeliever went to a place called torments in Hades. But the interesting thing is, though they were in two different compartments and um, they could see each other, because the rich man, the unbeliever, cries out. It says there's a great gulf separating them that's called the bottomless pit. And, and the, the unbeliever was out, able to cry out to Abraham in the other compartment. So they're not, there isn't one in heaven. They're both in Hades um, asking for Lazarus to, to, to give him some water and, uh, uh, because he is tormented in the flame. So this describes the Hades in the unbelieving part is there's a fire there and uh, it is it is not pleasant and uh, and then abraham answers verse 26 luke 16 besides all this between us and you there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to to there cannot nor can those pass there over to us in other words after death you can't change your position. Once you've died and you've gone to Hades, uh, you can't cross over anymore. There's a great gulf separating that. It's impossible. So man's eternal destiny is fixed at death. Now before the cross, no one was actually born again. When they uh, believed in, in God, in Christ, in the coming Messiah, they were forgiven, they were justified by faith, like Abraham. He was declared righteous by faith, but they were not born again. And therefore, their spirits were not made perfect. Therefore, they, they were still dead spiritually. They couldn't go to heaven. And this explains why Jesus, in Matthew eleven eleven, he talked about John the Baptist. He said, among those born of women, there hasn't been one greater than John the Baptist. He, he died before the cross. 
but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So that's interesting. He says in the new age, when the new covenant came in and people can be born again, they can enter the kingdom of heaven. Remember in John 3, Jesus said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. But that wasn't actually possible before his death and resurrection. He made the new birth possible, praise God. So that's when we enter the kingdom of heaven by being born again. So John the Baptist was, in a sense, belonged to God, of course, but he wasn't born again, and therefore he's described as not being in the kingdom of heaven. When he died, he went down to Hades. But, that, but somebody who is the least in the kingdom of heaven, the least one who is now born again, is greater than John the Baptist, positionally, because the, he's, he's got the new birth, praise God. And therefore, he is in the kingdom of heaven. And that means when we die now, we don't go to Hades, we go up to heaven. And, you know, in Hebrews 11, when he lists the, um, the great saints, the heroes of faith, um, it says that God, um, that they had the promise of the city of God. He describes this. They, they believed God's promise of the city of God, that they would have an eternal city from God, heaven. But it says in verse 40 that... Um, sorry, in verse uh, 39, although they obtained a good testimony through faith, they did not receive the promise. They didn't receive the promise of heaven. They, they had to go down to Hades. God having provided something better for us, new covenant believers, we have something better. We go to heaven. We receive the promise when we die because we are born again, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And what this is saying is, in the new birth, we are, our spirits are made perfect. They're new creations. Hallelujah. We are a new man created after the righteousness of God. By the resurrection power of Jesus, our spirits have been delivered from sin. Hallelujah. In your spirit, you, you are perfect. And that, that's why the Holy Spirit can live in your spirit. So you've been made perfect, but here it says the Old Testament saints couldn't have been made perfect apart from us. But when Christ rose from the dead, it says he preached the gospel to the spirits that were imprisoned in Hades. That's 1 Peter 4, 6. And when he preached the gospel, I am the Son of God, I'm the Messiah, I've died for your sins, I've risen from the dead, they all believed and they were all born again. Praise God. And it says they were made alive in their spirits. And so Jesus took them up to heaven when he ascended. It says he led captivity captive. He led the captives of Hades in a triumphal procession up to heaven when he ascended on high. And so all those Old Testament saints are now in heaven. In fact, Hebrews 12 describes the inhabitants of heaven in verse 22, carrying on from Hebrews 11. And it says, You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn registered in heaven. You're born again in, in, in God's kingdom, so you're registered in heaven. And to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. Those are the Old Testament saints. They were justified by faith. They were righteous by faith. They are just men, but now they've been made perfect through the new birth. 
And that happened at the resurrection of Jesus. And that's when he took them all up to heaven. So that means that when we die, we won't go down to Hades as believers. We will go up to heaven. In fact, that's the founding promise of the church. In Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus said, On this rock, which is Jesus himself, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against them, against her. In other words, if you're a true believer in Christ, you are part of his church. And God's promise to you is the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. In other words, you will not go down and you will not go through the gates of Hades. Hallelujah. Why? Because you've been redeemed from Hades. You're going to go straight up into the presence of God in heaven. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, Revelation 1.18, he said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And through his death and resurrection, he says, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. He has the authority over Hades and death. And when you received Christ, he immediately applied the key of Hades and he released your spirit from the power of Hades and you were born again and now you belong in heaven. Hallelujah. And one day he's going to turn the key of death as well and he's going to resurrect your body. He has overcome the power of Hades and death. Hallelujah to Jesus. So that means that believers, when they die, will go straight to heaven. Uh, Praise God for that. And that's why it's the death of a believer is described as um, not an end, but a departure. Now, the believer's body, as it were, goes to sleep. And the reason why the word sleep is used sometimes is for the body of a believer, because to say that our body dies means that's the end of it. That's the impression the word gives. But if you say the body sleeps, that is a reminder that it's in a temporary state and one day God's going to wake us up and he's going to raise our body from the dead. And that's being likened to being awoken out of sleep. So it's our body that sleeps, not our soul that sleeps. And so notice 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1.13, he says, while I am in this tent this body, I stir you up by reminding you, knowing soon I must put off my tent. Notice the eye is his spirit. When he dies, his eye does not stop existing, but he is going to put off his tent. He is going to put off the clothing of his body, but he will continue to exist. Um, 2 Corinthians uh, says, verse uh, 6, We are confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord physically. For we walk not by faith, sorry, we walk by faith, not by sight. All right? And then he says, we are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So he says, the moment we leave our body, we are absent from the body, but then we are present with the Lord. Hallelujah. And where is the Lord? He's in heaven. So we go straight to heaven to be with the Lord. Hallelujah. And and be encouraged by that. And Paul talks about his potential death. In Philippians 1.21, he says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To die is not non-existence, not a coma. It's 
gain. He says, I'm, he says, I'm torn between living on and bearing fruit with a desire to depart, depart the body and be with Christ. So for Paul to depart the body is to be with Christ, not non-existence. And he says, which is far better.